Junkies Internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this belated episode of Popcorn Junkie, I'll be talking about Five Feet Apart, the honestly completely blatant Fault in Our Stars ripoff, Wonder Park, the newest uh, pilot movie for Nickelodeon, and Captive State, a low-budget alien invasion spy thriller. Let's get started. stolen from me. I don't mind stealing something back. One foot. Just one foot closer. I will fight. I will fight for you. I say complete Fault in Our Stars ripoff because honestly, that's immediately what you think of when you look at it. I mean, it goes straight to even like even if people with cystic fibrosis have to use uh oxygen tanks and and breathe uh as you know in that regard seeing it with both seeing both uh protagonists and love interests have to use those same tubes and oxygen tanks feels completely ripped straight from Fault in Our Stars and especially the idea of two people with the same disease falling in love. Like, so much of the premise here is completely taken from The Fault in Our Stars that it's hard not hard to differentiate between them. But thankfully, the real difference between them is The Fault in Our Stars is actually fairly well-written. This is a hack job. This is a complete hack job, uh, going all the way down to even having a gay best friend with cystic fibrosis. Oh, oh, the fun. I mean, they had the best friend who was also who also had the same disease in The Fault in Our Stars. But he wasn't a stereotype like the one here played by Moises Arias. Uh, which is another thing. is You've got, as, aside from Haley Lou Richardson, you've got two uh, Disney Channel alumni <laughs> in this movie. you got Moises Arias from Hannah Montana and Cole Sprouse from The Sweet Life on Deck. There was probably a nice reunion for the two of them. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's just that this movie... I Like, even if it was entirely accurate to how people with cystic fibrosis have to live with their condition, that wouldn't excuse the terrible, terrible writing. Like, the first half is just boring. It's just complete boring, by-the-numbers teen romance... It's just they. It's done in a hospital, which is honestly feels woefully, un, woefully understaffed. Like seriously, there's nobody else in this hospital to see what the, see them breaking the rules. It's only the two main nurses and the one who's always watching them and and cracking down on them for breaking the rules. That's it. There are no. There's no, where's the nursing staff? Where are the other doctors? Like they show them in a, in a couple scenes and then it's just gone, just completely gone. And I know the hospitals aren't, can get less populated during the during the night, but that, seriously, like, there's no other staff watching, seeing them walking around or anything like that. Like, they live, they essentially live here. There's nobody else keeping an eye on them. Seriously, uh, it, yeah, it's it's that kind of movie where if you actually start to think about it, it doesn't make any sense. But people seem to dig it because of the emotional impact it has. But for me. That doesn't – I don't feel that. I don't feel that emotionality because 
it's so tacky. You know, it does not feel genuine. It feels stereotypical. It feels like they play up that Haley Lou Richardson's character has OCD, but it's only OCD when it's convenient. It's not OCD when all the time, which is how OCD people with OCD don't have it when it's convenient for them. People with OCD have OCD all the time. So, I don't know why they couldn't just say, oh, she's anal retentive. She's very neat. She's very neat-like. She doesn't, you know, she likes things in order. They literally say she has OCD in the beginning of this movie and then barely touch on it the entire rest of the movie. So, like, it's okay. So, even if they were accurate with cystic fibrosis, they don't, they obviously use movie cheating OCD. Where it's like, oh, it's only OCD to an extent, it's it's Hollywood OCD where everyone's just ain't retentive and it's not actual OCD. So, <laughs> so it's okay to cheat on some. And of course, the cystic fibrosis is is actually because that's the thing. They say people with cystic fibrosis in the movie need to stay six feet apart, and she's like, "I'm stealing that." The whole five feet is her is is done in a, such a stupid Hollywood, uh, like, speech where it's like, I'm, cystic fibrosis stole so much from me. I'm stealing one foot. And they use the, uh, they measure the five foot by using a pool cue that she stole from somewhere in the hospital. Hospital just had a pool table somewhere on its premises. And now it's missing a pool cue. So thanks. Thanks. Thanks, girl. You, you now you make the hospital have to buy a new pool cue, or what? Are they gonna have to come and say, "Hey, we're trying to play pool, and you stole one of our cues. Can we have that back, please?" Uh, uh where was I going with that? Uh, oh, the yeah, the whole and even yeah, but even regarding the five feet apart thing, they continually break that rule all the time because the kids get within five feet of each other all throughout this movie, and then only one of them suffers the consequences. I won't say who, but I think you can... But yeah, but somebody, given that it is a sexploitation movie, which is, I think, more appropriate than disease-ploitation, because, I mean, cystic fibrosis is not a disease you catch. It's a condition you were born with. So sexploitation... Despite it sounding more like sexploitation, uh, I think that's more accurate. But yeah, it's just that it's just that this whole premise feels so trite and contrived that I don't care about the emotional romance. Like don't, the romance doesn't ring with me because it doesn't feel genuine. It feels like a Hollywood hack writer came up with it. It didn't feel like. Um, with the fault in our stars, that felt like an actual human romance. It felt like something. It felt like the kind of romance you run into after you form this sort of relationship, and then you fall in love with each other. Here, it's literally just like every stereotype you can think of from one of these teen romance movies. It doesn't feel genuine. It feels forced, and that's why I don't connect with it emotionally. Like that because there's no reason for me to because I can see through – I could see it's a hollow, un- uninteresting 
emotionality. It's people it's utilizing all of the stereotypes without getting why those stereotypes exist and how they work. Uh Yeah, they br- and it doesn't the movie doesn't even follow its own rule set. It's just whenever it's con- once again, it's whenever it's convenient for the writers. And the writers here just are not very good at coming up with something that isn't you know that they can't stick to their own rules and they can, and they just have to keep follow, they they pretty much f- almost follow the beats for Fault in Our Stars almost exactly without um except removing the whole uh Amsterdam trip but every most of everything else was from all the beats from the Fault in Our Stars it felt like they were trying tracing over that for their stuff and then changing it wherever they could but it's still the same base model and yeah i I could see that entirely, and that's all I can think about because the movie doesn't give me anything else to think about because it's so bad. It is genuinely one of my least favorite movies of the year. And this is my unpop. We're starting off with my unpopped kernel because this is such a ludicrous. And especially, and that's the thing. The first half is boring. The second half is absolutely insane. We just go completely off the rails. And it becomes like almost a comedy in how stupid it is. So, I cannot recommend anybody go see this. It's two—it's a two-hour movie that doesn't get funny until the second half. And I can't expect you to sit through an hour of boring melodrama in the hopes of getting a laugh out of the second half of the movie. Just wait for it to come out on video and skip ahead. Because, honestly, the... Or, or see if people upload the clips to YouTube or something because... Those watching the, how stupid this movie is is funnier than actually enjoying it for me, and I can't. But I can't say. Any, but it's you know so half boring and going into full stupid, and honestly, more of a waste of my time. You guys did block the wheels, right? Oh, that's what this is for. Oops. No, 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 no. to feel like a terrible turn of events for us all. I'm with you. Wonder Park. Race for impact. <laughs> Everyone look away. I'm going to throw up. In theaters, March 15th. As much as people aren't discussing Five Feet Apart this weekend, uh, I'm kind of shocked because, honestly, the other one people are talking about is just too boring to comment on. I feel like they, the, the, the general consensus between like the film community was that Wonder Park was more interesting to comment on because of because of it, because they think that's the more uh train wreck sort of release this year release this weekend I mean and I I don't know like I do, I found it too generic and boring to really comment on I don't think that's I found it I think like I watched a Dan Olson's breakdown of it and how basically the movie is a rudderless production because it's got because oddly enough it somehow got away with having no director credited for the movie because it turned out during the production of the movie that the director was found was accused of and found to be guilty of inappropriate conduct with his staff members uh but then we never heard anything else about it other than in regards to, oh, this that's why this movie 
doesn't have a director attached to it because he did something. But even then, somehow Brian Singer still gets the main uh, credit for Bohemian Rhapsody for doing the exact for being just as cre- creepy and awful towards you know in his personal life. But somehow the guy from Wonder Park doesn't even get a credit. Hollywood's stupid like that. But um, but yeah, it's just, it's a pilot. It's a, and, and as soon as I found that out uh, that this was a pilot for an upcoming Nickelodeon series, a la Jimmy Neutron and uh, Back at the Barnyard, um, I genuinely that, that made a lot more sense because it does feel like a lot of setup without any real anything attached to it. It felt like something done to get kids excited. For the new show, whereas Jimmy Neutron and Barnyard did have fully realized stories, and then they spun off into a series. This feels like it's a just a pilot. It feels like it's just the introduction. It's like, here's the characters you're going to follow, here's the setting, and go. Because the story here just is, it, it, it's, it wants to try and be like Inside Out in that or uh, your various other... Um, Dan Olson used uh, My Neighbor Totoro as an example of the idea of util- using fantasy, kids' fantasy, to explain darker truths of childhood in, in so much as the mom is sick, a la My Neighbor Totoro, and the gir- and the main girl, June Bailey. <laughs> Oddly enough, I was like, yeah, oh, great, Bailey. Um, but... The main character escapes into a fantasy world, but unlike my neighbor Totoro, that doesn't really have anything to do with the mother's sickness. It's just also she escapes into the fantasy world. But, yeah, for a movie about imagination, it doesn't really have that much imagination going into it. it. It's trying to be kind of like the Lego movie, kind of like my neighbor Totoro, kind of like Inside Out. Kind of like all these things that w- it wants to be deeper than it is because it's trying to deal with the idea of giving up on your dreams when things get hard and not giving into your inner darkness and and your inner like feeling and feel feelings of like uh, inequ- inequity and uh, and and feelings of like you're not good enough and kind of like almost depression, but it doesn't really go far enough. It just that's it just mentions them, and then it's more interested in action sequences and being silly. So it doesn't. It wants to try and it wants to try and use the language of mature sort of use of fantasy in order to explain. Another one Dan brought up that's an excellent example of this done right is a monster calls. It's a uh, one of my. It was one of my. I didn't get to see it until 2017, but it was one of the best movies to come out in 2016. And it deals with a kid whose mom is suffering through a, through an illness, and he escapes through fantasy sequences. And it's a really well written, ex, you know, sort and everything correlates to each other. And it's just a well made movie too. If you haven't already, please go see a Monster Calls. It is a phenomenal movie. That I feel is, is sadly underrated and underwatched. But this movie wants to try and hint at that 
without ever going far enough. Like, it feels like the producers at Nickelodeon didn't want this to be too mature. They wanted it to be a pilot. They wanted it to be a showcase for, hey, here, come into Nickelodeon later this year. Here's this. And... Honest and like the best thing I could say about it is it's got really good animation. The animation here is on par with you know most DreamWorks movies. I wouldn't say it's Pixar level because Pixar goes above and beyond with its animation quality. This, but this is you know, I would say this is better than anything done by Illumination, and on par with uh, DreamWorks in terms of its animation quality. But once again, the story being told is fairly boring by the numbers. It's, um, and learning that it is a pilot for a TV series, it makes, it makes so much more sense. But, uh, yeah, but it's also suffering from things like, uh, plug-in jokes. Like, Patton Oswalt does a great bit about how Hollywood loves doing these jokes that are just punch-ups, uh, when the movie's already done. They just like, oh, we need to punch up the script so that we can say jokes while the anim- while nothing's going on on screen so it can be funny. I love that bit by Patton Oswalt. And um and this movie does suffer a bit from that the punch-up jokes cuz if it ju- cuz that's the thing. Most of those jokes and those lines, you can cut those and the scene would actually be better. But because Producers have it in their head that they have to always be saying something every single second. Uh, the movie suffers for it. You can't just let the movie visually speak for itself. You have to say things out loud because apparently because they just assume kids are that stupid. And some kids are, are aren't going to get it. But most kids, if you just show the visuals, they'll get it. Their kids are visual. Most kids are visual learners. Are visually motivated. They don't listen. They don't necessarily listen. So they so they can just see what's happening and get it. They don't need to be talked at five. Like that's a almost a preschool level of mentality. So yeah, the and I would say also the voice casting for June uh, sounds way more, way older than the character is because the character is supposed to be like pre pubescent like preteen sort of age and she sounds like a really bad adult playing a kid i don't i think her kid's already a teenager her actress so i think that's part of the problem is that they have somebody who's not able to to voice themselves into that age range and and that's the thing adult actors can do that all the time like Think about, I mean, think about how long Tara Strong has made a living playing the voices of babies in cartoons. So, I mean, a good actress can voice themselves down. But I think they got, I don't know what the idea was for the two actresses that they got to play June. But the the one playing the younger version of her sounded exactly, the, sounded like the same actress just pitched up. So, I don't know. And and they just don't they sound off they don't sound right coming out of that character model. At least that was something I noticed. And then uh, like Mila Kunis kind of sounded off coming out of that character model too. I I think playing a boar you expect a deeper voice than Mila Kunis. It, that kind of threw me off. Um, I will say John Oliver is probably the funniest at, uh, voice in this movie. 
because you get that same level of, and especially and it probably only works if you're already a fan of John Oliver's delivery because he get he has some deliveries that are that come straight from his his show and his style of humor and other times it is pretty bo- generic kids humor so when he's doing that it's not very good but when it's him being essentially being himself and be giving off his style. It's like, oh, yeah, John Oliver. Yeah, he's funny. Uh, but like Kent Jong and Keenan Thompson are play like brothers, brother beavers, and they're okay. Uh, the guy, the one voicing the bear actually does radio promos and as the voice of a radio station here in Cleveland. So I'm shocked that they did. They, they got that guy for a movie and not, you know, a, a more of a named celebrity. Uh, also the one playing the magical monkey, uh, the ch- there's a chimp named Peanut who actually does all the magical stuff for Wonder Park. And he's voiced by a guy who's on, who's mostly on Broadway. So the casting choice is a bit scatter, right? It's a bit scattershot, oddly, and doesn't quite work. So... This definitely feels like a movie made by committee, but I didn't hate it. It's not good. It's very generic. This doesn't make me want to watch this series. I'd have to check that out on its own merit rather than if the movie was good. But for what it's worth, worth, you could do worse, I guess. I can take the risk. Get back to the way that things used to be. Like I said, those days are gone. Time's up. This is another one of those cases where the pick of the week is not a good movie. I mean, it's a it's not a bad movie, but it's not a great movie. It's not, oh, you have to go run out and see this. This is my pick of the week by default because while the other because the other two movies were just not not any better than it. And this is just this, this weekend was kind of pretty mediocre, all things considered. And uh, my pick of the week is a movie that, unlike. Uh, Five Feet Apart, which is a direct ripoff of Fault in Our Stars. This one is more going for, like, stylistically parallel. Not not fully, but story-wise and imagery-wise, it wants to try and kind of be in the same vein as District 9. Maybe not by, maybe not consciously, but definitely you can see the parallels between the two. But it's its own, but it goes in a much different direction. Whereas District Nine was about alien refugees and uh, apartheid in South Africa, this is more trying to go for alien invasion meets sort of revolutionary spy thriller. Uh, because you've got the because in the in this because the world building in this is is excellent. I will I will say that the world building. Is it explains the it explains the rules easily without too much exposition. There's some exposition up front, but most of the rules are explained through the actions of the characters as the movie goes along. So I give the movie credit for that. And 
the premise here is uh, nine years after an alien invasion, uh, most of the world has agreed to live under the auspices of what they call the legislators, the which is a beautiful sort of like otherworldly bureaucratic force controlling them. That's a great way of uh, kind of. Just kind of disti- make them making them sound distant. The legislators. It's not cool. It's not a cool name for them, but it's not. But it's a ver- but it makes sense for like if you want to make them sound like this otherworldly bureaucratic force ruling over your lives, which is what they are. And then <clears throat> they basically quietly stamp out all dissent and play up how great they are. And it's a very fascistic mindset. It's it, it is a fascistic regime. But nobody else knows about it except for the ones fighting against it and protecting it, because there's because the, the police are kind of aware of what's of what's really going on, but but choose to uphold it, and the revolutionaries are the ones trying to undermine it, while everyone else is just basically living their lives, they, as though as though nothing had nothing really has changed. In fact, things have gotten better. I mean, they brought down unemployment and so everything's so much better than when we were managing ourselves and it's all uh it's all a, it's all a facade it's all a fake in order to maintain rule over the people and as a lot of fascist regimes are and so it's up to this revolutionary force to try and bring down the legislators and you follow this gr- – it's not so much about individual characters. You're following an entire group that includes John Goodman as a high-ranking official in the in the Chicago Police Department. Uh, Vera Farmiga, who is a – who runs a brothel in uh, Pil- the Pilsen neighborhood of Chicago. And this entire ring of revolutionaries – and who I honestly don't are are pretty much played by no name actors, and then the two main revolutionaries that they focus on are the sons of a poli- of John Goodman's former partner uh, who died trying to revolt against the aliens the first time, and so he is kind of. And they show, and the movie opens with what happens to him, and so John Goodman takes it upon himself to watch out for the, the, the two sons of his of his ex partner, and the two sons eventually become revolutionaries. One becoming an iconic face of the revolution, while the other is just trying to follow in the fo- in his brother's and father's footsteps and try. But all, and actually, it's a mix. He wants to be he wants to fight back against the aliens, but he mainly wants to just get away. He wants to find a way away from these, from the, from these, from these, uh, from this oppressive regime, and just get out of poverty. Because that's the other thing. Pilsen's Pilsen, the neighborhood, is living in pretty much abject poverty, despite the fact that supposedly these aliens have made everything better. They still ensure subjugation through class and uh, and and. Uh, you know, your and through uh, your financial well-being. So if you're poor, you're doing even worse than before. And, but if you're rich, you're even richer. So the lines between the two are astronomically worse than they are now. And so 
You're, they're living in squalor. The people in Pilsen are living in squalor, essentially. But hey, the, what can you do? The aliens control everything, and that's how they want it. And so there, you can see why there's still some dissent from people. And uh, I will say the actor playing the main, the sort of protagonist, uh, for all intents and purposes, is kind of generic. Most of the actors outside of like John Goodman and Vera Farmiga are pretty by the numbers. They're not. They're not people that I feel like they're the not ready for primetime players. They just they just don't have the charisma to really stand out. They're just kind of workmen. Like they they're very uh, they're very much kind of do the job. Don't you know? Don't and don't raise too much of a fuss. And whereas John Goodman and Vera Farmiga for uh, John. Go- while John Goodman has way more screen time than Vera Farmiga, sadly, they at least have some screen presence. The others, the other actors in this movie just don't really have any screen presence. And I think that's kind of why this movie is, that's kind of the detriment to this movie. They didn't need to hire named actors. They just needed to hire actors with more screen presence to make it, like, if we're going to be following these actors, shouldn't we care more about them? Because, honestly, they're pretty forgettable, ultimately. I don't even remember any of their names besides uh, John Goodman and Vera Farmiga. So they didn't really stand out to me enough to remember their names after the fact. I think I saw D.B. Sweeney was in the movie somewhere. And I only know him because uh, I think he voiced uh, Aladar from Dinosaur. Um, and But on top of that, the actual spy... Story is really predictable. Like, if you want to do a spy thriller, you want to be so you want to try and be subversive, and you want to try and 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 kind of uh, beat people's expectations. So, if if you if you only meet people's expectations, then you're then you're not then as a mystery and as a spy thriller. You're kind of you're not as compelling. Whereas if you're a spy movie that can undercut people's expectations and do something they didn't expect, then people will remember you. Here, I think it's just more. This is how spy thrillers are written, so let's do that rather than well. Here's how spy thrillers are written. What can we do different? And I think that's. And and I think also not having a central focus for the movie doesn't help. It feels like it's trying to. I commend it for not for trying to be more uh, worldly in that it's not focusing on singular character narratives. It's just following the world as it goes along through several characters. But I think that also makes it very very scatterbrained. It feels like it's not very. Uh, Focused. It feels like it's. It feels kind of unfocused. Like they forgot who they were following at this point. So, the, yeah, the story's kind of predictable, and the actors outside of John Goodman, Vera Farmiga, are kind of predictable. And, but, but I will say they do a lot with very little on their budget. And I'll give it. Th- you know, I'll give it this. It. May, it I'm gonna think about this more than I ever will. Wonder Park or Five Feet Apart. Unless I'm thinking about how terrible Five Feet Apart is. So I'll give it that. That's why it's my default pick of the week.
but I wouldn't say go out and see it anytime soon unless it somehow piqued your interest. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about sexploitation movies. You want to hear four badass women discuss and dissect modern and classic horror films? Join us at Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. Oh! On the Gummy Cat Network. Don't read the Latin. I initially referred to this whole genre as disease exploitation, thinking that sounded more, um, more, more interesting. But I think sexploitation is uh, more accurate to what I'm thinking of because a lot of these movies don't deal with diseases being caught, but conditions, some of which are genetic. And the whole thing here is. I, I can't say to how prominent it was before for The Fault in Our Stars, but ever since The Fault in Our Stars, we've seen a surge in this genre. And I think that's probably the worst thing to come out of The Fault in Our Stars since this whole genre feels very exploitative of people's illnesses and people's conditions. And I feel like... I feel like it's Hollywood um, marketing people's conditions as a way to, uh, without any real way of helping them. It feels like a way to make money off of people's pain and people's suffering, ultimately, when you think about it. And isn't that, isn't that how Hollywood works? <laughs> anyway, um, for those who uh, don't know what I'm talking about, uh, The Fault in Our Stars is kind of a great template but the movies that I'm talking about are much more exploitative. The Fault in Our Stars kind of kicked it off, but I don't think it's as exploitative as things like Everything Everything or uh, Midnight Sun. You know, these movies that want to that make the focus about this whatever condition it is and how terrible it is and how they just want to live a normal life. Like, that's the thing. The Fall North Stars never was so condescending as to be like, the, why can't I be normal for a change? You know, some kind of Disney princess mentality of being normal for once and living a normal life. And how, they're, how their condition is a cage. And they just want to be free. And, and that freedom is foregoing your actual treatment and, the, and any sort of safety and... and you know, a way to stay alive by breaking the rules and living and living free. What's the point of living longer if I can't be free? It's it's a very hippy dippy mindset when you think about it, and it's all driven by teenage angst and especially about death. And and they just want to be free to live a normal life, Dad. Even though. Logically, they could live a fairly 
happy existence without comparing it to any sort of non, you know, any sort of other person's quote unquote normal life. And it's all about the emotionality of, oh, isn't it terrible that they have to live like this? And it's so awful. Can't they, they found somebody they love, but they can never meet together. And adds all and somebody either dies or there's a risk of dying or there's, you know, there's a close call for dying. And it's honestly, it often ignores any actual aspects of whatever condition the person may have. And ultimately actually gives an overall negative effect for people with this condition. Cause it's like, Oh, isn't it terrible? Shouldn't we pity these poor, poor, unfortunate souls? And I just feel like that's so think of it this way. I'm somebody on the autism spectrum and that kind of mentality is go is behind the largest autism charity organization in the world autism speaks autism speaks treats autism as a disease a something that needs to be cured for our poor unfortunate children so they can live a normal life and it's like eat a bag of dicks you condescending pricks no we're fine we don't need normal lives. We need healthy lives. We need to live our own lives and be happy and healthy and be able to receive treatment for our condition. We don't need to be saved and cured and live regular lives because we are fine living our own lives. We don't need to be cured and live your life. I don't, we don't want your life. We want our own lives. And you just have to let us live those lives. So I think that's the kind of condescending nature behind so many sexploitation movies. And the idea that we have to save these poor people from living such horrible lives. And it's like, Haley Lou Richardson's character in Five Feet Apart has a fairly, fairly successful YouTube channel. Like, enough people watch it to... That it's that she can, you know, and she has that outlet. She has an outlet for speaking out with other people. It's not the same as interacting with people and touching people, but she could easily turn that into a living for as long as she has and help it have use it to help further cystic fibrosis research and do other amazing things with her life. The one, the one, the other kid played by Cole Sprouse is an artist, he could very easily. Fine tune his 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 craft and and talk with and you know see if his mom could see if there's any other like like see if he can get some things published or something some artwork published somewhere. Uh, it's not like these people could live terrible lives with their condition because plenty of people live live healthy happy lives on this condition all the time on these conditions. It's just they don't live our lives isn't that terrible and that's the underlying mentality behind sexploitation movies there aren't a lot of them the big the big ones that come to mind are everything everything midnight sun and now five feet apart i can't think of too many other movies in fact let's i, I think that the problem is this uh, this genre is fairly recent because I can't think of too much before 
the Fault in Our Stars came out, where this was a running theme and running and 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 functioning genre of film. Because normally, when people talk about conditions or diseases, it's either a subplot in somebody else's movie, or if it's the focus of the movie, it's a it's a medical drama, and oftentimes those tend to be much more serious and not as flippant as, say, a teen romance. I think trying to turn medical dramas into teen romance uh, movies and stories and young adult romance is is kind of where the flippancy comes in and how it's treated. Because, I mean, that is a very teenage mentality. Why can't I be normal? Why am I not normal? It's a very prepubescent. It's a very pubescent mindset of I want to be like them, and not understanding that they can just live their own life. They don't need to compare themselves to other people. That's a very because yeah, teens always suffer. There's a lot of teens who suffer from uh, sort of that grass is always greener mindset of I should be more like them. They they aren't. They aren't good enough. They have to be more like their other their their fellow teens. They have to be more like their peer groups. They have to be more of the other thing rather than just be themselves. And that's why so much of teen and young adult and kid centric stuff is always focusing on just being who you are rather than trying to be like other people because it's trying to emphasize the fact that you don't want to be like other people. That's a terrible mindset to have and. It, shows whenever you get to adult when you have that same mindset it always sounds so childish and that's what i think that's the problem in movies like this because it undercuts what you really want teens to understand which is that they don't need to be thinking about those other people's lives they should be thinking about how best to live their own life and i think using um the exam- perfect examples for these would be everything, everything, and the new and five feet apart. Uh, you compare those to the Fault in Our Stars, which is kind of what uh, caused, which is kind of the spark that lit this fire of sexploitation movies. The Fault in Our Stars it benefits from m- showcasing that these two teens can live a functioning, happy life. Despite their condition, even though the condition does call, come with a risk and uh, comes with a risk of a of a of a de- of death and of a death that's that's unexpected and soon, the impending death is always a concern. But they can still be happy. They can still live happy lives for however long they're here, despite their condition. They're not beholden to their condition to be happy. They just have to make their own happiness. And they don't have to do it by being supposedly normal. They don't need to be normal. They need to be happy. You compare that to everything, everything, which is, which is a, it, spoilers for that, it blatantly lies. So it, so it exploits this, this condition that, uh, she supposed that this girl that uh, Amanda Stenberg supposedly has, and then undercuts it by saying, "Oh, that was never a thing. She was never sick to begin with." So you exploited the exploitation of it because you exploit her for being sick and trying to live a quote unquote normal life throughout the movie, going so far as to actually leave her house despite the fact that she was 
kind of, that she had a disease equivalent to the boy in the bubble or something, or, or the boy in the plastic bubble, bubble boy, that whole mentality of they have to be hermetically sealed and um, stay inside or risk catching any number of diseases because their body can't, you know, some kind of immunodeficiency, something or another. Uh, and it turns out that was all a lie. So you exploit the idea that, oh, she's just trying to live her normal life by saying, oh, the whole reason why you couldn't live a normal life is because is a lie. We made that up, so now you're extra miserable. And it's a, it's such a cop-out ending. It's such a cop-out twist. It's so, it's so, like, sickening that that's, like, full-on, like, almost villainous mentality of, like, I'm going to make up and pay a doctor to continually pretend that you have this condition that you do not. That's, it stops, and that, as soon as you start to realize that, the logistics of the entire movie leading up to that twist starts automatically come into question. That's why I don't take everything, everything seriously. It's such a stupid, stupid movie. And the whole, and once, and you compare that to The Fault in Our Stars, where the, the main theme of The Fault in Our Stars is that you should find your happiness wherever. Doesn't matter what your condition is, if you can find happiness in the love of somebody else with your condition, in the love of, of, of a book, and me, and in the love of, and the love of, See, you know, being with other people, being with friends, ha- you know, having, ha- living your life in a way that makes you happy, that's the goal. Everything, everything is about, I want to, m- I-, I met a smexy boy, and I want to, and I want to bone him, but I can't because disease, so I'm going to risk dying in order to be with sexy boy. That, that, yeah, that, that's great. That, that, that feels so pandering to young to young women, doesn't it? Oh, it feels like it feels like a male centric mindset of like, here's what girls want: they want bang smexy boy, so they'll break all the rules to bang smexy boy. And it's like, oh wow, that is that just feels so condescending. And I know that there are plenty of uh, women, young and older, who dig everything, everything, and think it's really romantic. I just find it super condescending. I just feel like that's, you know, they're, they're, that's, you can write a better story about that than what they wrote. Maybe the book is better. I'm not sure. Uh, but the movie is very condescending and very much feels like it was a, trying to rip off The Fault in Our Stars, honestly. From the first trailer, I could, t- I could see that it was trying to rip that off. And then you come to Five Feet Apart... Where once again, it's not about living a happy life. They think living a happy life means living a normal life, going on normal dates, going on, going outside the hospital, and not not and like oh, having life, you know, life extending medical treatments is terrible because I want to live my, I just want to live. I want to be, I want to live a normal life, and it's like wow, that's such a stupid mindset. It once again feels like a condescending adults version of what teens think, and it's like, oh my god, what is wrong with you? Just stop, just stop being stupid for a second, because you can once again you can they can find happiness wherever. It just they don't need to 
forced trying to be ha- be normal, go normal, have normal dates. I mean, one of the times I try to have a normal thing like a party, it it results in tragedy, and that and at that point it's like, well, screw everything. Why it's it tries to be this faux nihilism nihilistic mindset of like well if i can't be normal and live a normal life then why even bother being why even bother being healthy why can't i just die and it's like oh my god get over yourself oh no you have this 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 horrible thing and it but like there are plenty of people who live well into adulthood with cystic fibrosis because we have the medical technology to help them do so it's not a <laughs> It's all. I mean, it, it it may limit how long you live, but plenty of people li- have lived functioning and and overall happy lives with cystic fibrosis. It, 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 it you being it, it just feels like oh, but t- kids do stupid things when they're in love, and it's like oh my god, that's why that they're yeah, but that's why there are there are adults. They live in a hospital. How is it that they? Not only that, but one of the big romantic scene, one of the big happy scenes, what uh, a birthday party is done by stealing food from the hospital. How did that not result in like so many, so many, like that kid's family probably got billed so much extra for? Stealing food from the hospital. He probably could have even risked being kicked out of the hospital for doing that. But it's okay because they got to have a normal party. Uh, it's so twee and, and it's so surface level gushy and saccharine that it doesn't really... Like, it's not genuinely sweet and touching. It's it's surface-level sweet. It's sweet at first, and then you start to realize, oh, no, this is gut-rotting bad. It's gut-rotting stupid, and it doesn't make any sense. But, aw, isn't that sweet? That's a, it, it, it's, it's counting on you to not think about it. And I think that's the difference between that and The Fault in Our Stars, which, when you actually start to think about it, is fair, it, you know, think the people's choices make sense and would would work ultimately and it's more about just them finding their happiness wherever they are and he and in stuff like five feet apart and everything everything midnight sun all these movies it's all about imitating and trying to find normality and live like normal people who don't have the condition with Without ever finding their own true happiness. And ultimately risking their own livelihoods to pursue something that they don't need to pursue. And once again, you could argue that, oh, but they're teenagers. Of course they're going to think like that. That's kind of, uh, isn't that kind of condescending when you think about it? Isn't that kind of condescending to say, oh, that's how teenagers think. Not so stupid teenagers think. I mean, there are plenty of teenagers who don't think like that, and especially now in the and and with with their access to the internet, they can find their happiness wherever. They don't need to be beholden. I mean, some still suffer from feeling like they need to tie into some sort of group mindset and f- emulate certain lifestyles. Obviously, that's a problem with a lot of people. 
But that's usually why those kind of mentalities are being should be tamped out. Should be like, no, don't pursue this lifestyle because you're not quali- because you don't need to. You can find your hap- your own happiness without emulating this lifestyle that you physically can't. But sexploitation isn't about that. It's about making you feel good by this faux inspirational idea of overcoming your condition and living normal lives. It's like when those Facebook posts go around of like amputees walking again and doing, doing, uh, doing all kinds of stuff. It feels very condescending in a way to say like, oh, look at these people who, are, who have had these life-altering conditions. It, look at them being normal again. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's, aspir- it's inspirational to see people living happy lives no matter what their condition is. But to say that, oh, isn't it inspirational that these people who aren't quote-unquote normal get to be quote-unquote normal is very condescending. And it's very much a very ableist mindset. You see that with plenty of people when talking about any sort of mental disorder or or physical handicap. It's like, oh, you get to be normal. Isn't that amazing? What? I don't want to be normal. I want to be who I, I want to be my own person. I want to be happy. Screw being normal. Be happy. Uh, yeah, so it just... It, yeah, I think that's my biggest qualm with movies like this. It's that they forego real, genuine, inspirational themes in order to be f- this sort of faux, condescending, ableist form of inspiration by saying look at these people with life-altering conditions look at them be normal for a change and look at how happy they are even though it causes some of them to die isn't that isn't that great no that's terrifying that's that's sad that's tragedy the tragedy is them it's like that's like a shakespearean tragedy of like oh in their attempts to be normal they cause their own death isn't that's that's a that's a tragic story of Caution, you know, it's a cautionary tale of like, oh, don't attempt to be normal, just be happy. Work on being happy. Uh, so yeah, be wary of sexploitation movies. They tug at your heartstrings, so you may feel a, uh, a, a, you may feel a certain way about them emotionally, but you have to take a look at the underlying themes and what they're actually trying to say. And I'm sure pe- plenty of people could poke calls in the Fault in Our Stars as well. It's just that I personally find that at least it's not being wholly condescending as opposed to, say, five feet apart. All right, so we'll see how, others, how many other exploitation movies come out. Um, hopefully this this trend is kind of on its last legs and we can get back to other exploitive uh, teen romance stuff. Nothing against teen romance because, I mean, I don't want to come off as, like, one of those people who, because teen girls like it, it's bad. Teen girls can like whatever they want. It's just we should probably be making content for them that's good and that they can enjoy rather than stuff that feels like it's exploiting them for monetary gain, which is what a lot of teen properties tend to do. It's just here, like this thing so you can have your parents spend money on it. It's, you know, it's it feels like it it feels like it's just exploiting stuff that stuff out of teen, you know teens to get money out of them rather than giving them something that they, that's ulti- that they can enjoy even beyond their teen years. And it's just get the money now 
and then they can realize it's terrible afterwards rather than here's the thing let you can enjoy it now or any any number of years in the future but that's a that's a topic for another day so uh let's go on to the other segments first up with the box office report and now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report this is going to be an interesting box office to cover, because first of all, most of the stuff in the top seven has fallen out. Lego Movie Part 2 is out, uh, Alita Battle Angel is out, Green Book is out, Isn't It Romantic is all out from the top seven last week. And top seven this week is four new releases and three carryovers. Uh, first off, premiering at number seven is Captive State, which brought in $3.1 million, and I'm going to have to go to Wikipedia to find... If, to see if it's got a budget listed there, because Box Office Mojo doesn't have it listed. It costs 20... Ooh, that's actually more expensive than I expected it to be. It's $25 million to make. Opened at three. Mmm, that's a harsh sting. That's got a sting. Ugh. Uh, but, yeah, we'll see if it can make any money back. It may end up being a huge flop, but... Uh, but yeah, it's, it ultimate, but yeah, it, we'll see come down the line if maybe it can get some money through like foreign markets or DVD sales, but it, it doesn't look good for it right now. If it can bear, if it can barely make one fifth of its budget back opening weekend. Um, next up is premiering at number six, something I have no knowledge of never. I don't think it. Came anywhere near my uh, near 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 Ohio. It may it may have, but it's it does it does. I didn't see any word on it, and yet it's in the top ten at number six, and that's a Spanish lang. I think Spanish. I want to say Spanish. Is it Spanish or is it uh? Yeah, it's Spanish because it's a Mexican production um, in Spanish language. Okay, yeah. Uh, no Manches Frida 2, which is a, uh, with the subtitle Paraiso, Paraiso Destruido, uh, which I think translate. What, did that, what would that translate to? Uh, hold on. It's a sequel to another uh, Spanish comedy, just No Manches Frida, uh, which is. Uh, a Spanish remake of a German comedy called Fat. This is not swearing. It's Fat Jugeta. Fat Jugeta. Which. Oh boy. Uh, hold on. So I'm going to have to be doing a whole bunch of digging because this is all news to me. I'd never heard any of this stuff. So, first off, Google Translate. What does No Manches Frida Paraíso Destruido translate to? Paradise Destroyed, No Manches Frida. So then what does No Manches Frida mean? Is Wikipedia going to tell me what that translates to? No Manches Frida, El Profesor Sustituto, uh, the, the substitute professor, um... Okay, let's go to IMDb. See if they have any idea. No Manches Frida. 
I'm gonna. Ah, God. No man. What is Manches? No Manches means really, really Frida. Really, Frida? Okay, so that's the premise. That's a, that's a, essentially the translation. That's the best I could find. If, if somebody speaks Spanish, it could give me a better idea of this of the transla- of a good translation to English. Then let, be sure to let me know afterwards. But uh, this is all stuff for a movie that premiered at number six this weekend. Okay, so no, no manches, Frida, which roughly translates to really Frida. It comes from. Um, a, a German comedy called Fack You Goethe, which is a misspelling of F U Goethe, uh, which is a. Okay. Bank robber has been has just been out of prison. Upon his release, he goes to retrieve money he stole in order to repay a debt, but his friend buried it in a construction site. The construction site is completed. His money is now buried underneath the new gymnasium at a school. In order to obtain the money, he has to apply for the vacant position of a, of a janitor. He, uh, uh, due to a misunderstanding, he is ter- made a substitute teacher. Uh, the l- student teach... Uh, good. Uh, Liz... Liz... Uh, the love interest, the female lead, is a student teacher. Uh, because she has guardianship of her younger sister... And, but she doesn't have the authority to manage the students at the school. And it's some kind of German school-based comedy of a guy trying to take money and a girl who wants to be a teacher. And, um, there's the... Doesn't have education. And she blackmails him. Over, I I have no idea. I've never heard of this film, but anyway, uh, they made they remade it in Mexico and called it No Manches Frida, really Frida, and um, story of Zeki, uh, uh, recently released bank robber goes to recover stolen money buried under uh, buried by his di- by his ditzy accomplice before going to jail. They return to the site and find find uh, Frida Kahlo. Heist. Okay, that's where the free that's where the Frida comes from. Uh, uh, Fred Kahlo High built a gymnasium over the lot over the loot to get the money. He poses as a substitute teacher for a school that can't seem to keep any teachers around. Zeki comes in ready to lay down the law, but he quickly finds out that life on the inside may have been easier to deal with in a school full of wild and rebellious teenagers. Okay, yeah, same premise, just in Mexico then, instead of Germany. Now the sequel, No Manches Frida, two, uh, para, para hizo. Destruido comes from the sequel to the German movie Faki Goethe. Sequel. There's sequel. Sequels. Okay. Now it's the 2013 and 2015 second movie. Here you go. Faki Goethe 2. Um, Mr. Mueller. Zeki. So Zeki is not satisfied with his new work at the school. Having to get up early and correcting exams annoys him. Uh, wants to improve the images of school because she wants to be the the headmaster. Wants to improve the images of school. She wants to be a symbol of a new public campaign. 
achieve this, she wants to take away the partnership from the gymnasium with a school in Thailand. So Zeki, uh, Lisi, and uh, their class go on a school trip to Thailand to a remote village. Okay. Not sure about that. That That seems really weird. Uh, but the, but yeah, No Manches Frida 2, it follows up with Zeki and, and, uh, Lucy from the first movie. And, da, da, da. okay, let me go to IMDb. Frida 2. IMDb. Seemingly reformed ex-con Zeki is about to marry the love of his life, the lovably nerdy Lucy. Wedding day jitter turned into full-blown fiasco, and Lucy calls the wedding off. Meanwhile, the school finds itself in deep trouble, and the gang heads heads to the water to compete in the tournament of their lives. Once they're all seaside, Lucy runs into her high school sweetheart, Mario, whom 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 since she last saw him has transformed into a smoking hot hunk. He's coached to the opposing squad, and Zeki finds himself a rival in more than one competition. Now he has to pull out all stops to wrangle in his rowdy kids, win Lucy back, and in case that wasn't enough, save the school from shutting down by leading Frida High to victory. Okay, so slightly different than uh, than the German sequel. It's, be, it's, more of a, it's more so along the lines of, its, of the romantic comedy tropes. Okay. So that's that. Um, no word on budget. No word on budget. Uh, not from Wikipedia or uh, box or IMDb or Box Office Mojo. Uh, what about the original? What? How much? I would assume it probably is slightly more than the original, which also did not have a budget listed. All right, then. So we have no idea what this cost to make. I would assume probably like 10 to $20 million. Uh, first one made like $25 million in, in, at the box office. This one opened higher than Captive State in fewer theaters. This is the, this is, this is the story here. This movie opened in less than 1,000 theaters. 472 theaters. And made... More than a movie in 2,500 theaters. So the fan base for No Manches Frida, or I guess for any sort of Spanish language movie in theaters, in, in, in major U.S. theaters, is out there. So it meant, now I'm a, I wouldn't be surprised if this managed to get a wider release or because of that, or we'll see. We'll see what happens now, because this managed to break into the top 10 in only 400 theaters. Made $8,000 per theater. That's astounding. That's the highest average per theater outside of Captain Marvel currently. So it, it, that's, a, that's an astounding feat. Especially for a movie that seemed... For anyone outside of Mexican cinema or Spanish language film... Came right the hell out of nowhere. So good for it. I have no idea about these movies... We'll see if I ever get around to see if I ever get the chance to see either the German or the Spanish language version. I'm sure if this proves popular, America will rem- will remake it in its own way. Did it already? Hold on, let me go to.
Totally original. It said there's a bunch of sequels and remakes. Okay, no, only No Manches Frida uh, is the, it, the. There's only the one Mexican remake. But hey, this proves this series has proved popular enough to actually make makes make make it into the top ten in the U.S. box office. Then I would not be surprised if it led to a U uh, English language remake anytime you know any sometime in the near future. Anyway. Uh, moving on to number five, dropping from number three is Tyler Perry's The Medea Family Funeral, bringing in seven point eight million dollars, bringing its domestic gross up to fifty eight point eight million dollars, and after how many weeks? Three weeks, almost, almost uh, reaching reaching overall fifty nine and a half million dollars. Uh, that's probably twice its budget, I think. What was uh, Tyler Perry's? Hold on, Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry. Uh, come on. Uh, Medea Family Funeral. There we are. Should have had these open beforehand. Yeah, twenty million dollars to make, so it's already made over twice its money. So ultimately, the fan base is still here for uh, Medea. And hopefully this is Tyler Perry's last hurrah with her and he can move on to just being a producer and a writer and director rather than dressing in all kinds of character stuff like he's freaking uh, Eddie Murphy in the clumps. Um, at number four, uh, dropping down for number two, we have How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, which brought in $9.2 million this weekend. Bringing its domestic gross up to $135.5 million and its worldwide gross after... I want to say, four, okay, four weeks. After a full month, it made $466 million. So, yeah, this movie is doing great. Probably one of the... How is it in the DreamWorks canon? DreamWorks animation. Here we go. Still the third in the whole Dragons trilogy, but it's also not done with, done in this box office run. We'll see come to the end. Um, in the full canon of DreamWorks, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World... Is already doing better than B Movie, Peabody, and Mr. Sherman, uh, Chicken Run, which isn't a full, which is more of a, co- a collaboration with Ardman, uh, Rise of the Guardians, Prince of Egypt. That must be before. Let me here. Let's do it before adjusting for inflation. There we go. I was gonna say Prince of Egypt should be much higher up. Huh? Prince of Egypt only did as good as How to Train Your Dragon Two when you adjust for inflation. I did not realize it wasn't that successful. I thought it was way more successful than that. It must have been more successful on video or something. But adjusting for inflation, uh, How to Train Your Dragon 3 does better than Peabody, Mr. Sherman, Rise of the Guardians, Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron, Turbo, Penguins of Madagascar, Flushed Away, The Rotel Dorado, Wallace and Gromit, The the Curse of the Were-Rabbit, Captain Underpants. I didn't realize Captain Underpants did that bad. I love that movie. It was so good. It captured everything great about the books. Man. I also need to check out the, the season two of the of the show. Season two is out and I completely missed it. But DreamWorks' worst performing movie still is Sinbad Legend of the Seven Seas. But, yeah. it. Uh, that's, so, yeah, we'll see where... Uh, and, that's, and that's only uh, domestic releases. Worldwide... Um, how to Train Your Dragon 3 is 
only behind like Shrek is only behind like Shrek and the I mean it's still pretty far behind a bunch of the stuff. Shrek, all the Shrek movies, Madagascar, Boss Baby, uh, the Kung Fu Panda movies, but it's much farther ahead uh, internationally than any of the other uh, stuff. Like and worldwide, Rotel Dorado is actually the lowest performing. Sinbad got elevated worldwide, whereas Road to El Dorado is just could not keep up. And once again, Catherine in her pants is so slow is sadly under sadly underperformed, and that's so sad for me because I love that movie. Um anyway, uh moving right along, we've got premiering at number three is Five Feet Apart, which brought in thirteen million dollars this weekend and cost how much to make? Probably twenty. I can't imagine this making costing more than twenty five million dollars to make. This is based on a book. I thought this was based on a book. No, it's a full. It's a full, fully fledged rip off of the Fault in Our Stars. Oh, good! It only cost seven million to make, so it 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 broke it broke even its opening weekend. Fantastic! Don't expect this series to don't expect this franchise to die just yet, folks. <sighs> All right. It is what it is. Anyway, Wonder Park premiered at number two this weekend, bringing in $15.8 million domestically and worldwide opening to $20 million. And it cost... I really wish they could cross-reference Wikipedia's budgets with uh, Box Office Mojo and IMDb. There's no reason why they shouldn't. Um... Oh, oh, that's so sad. Hey, you know how um, Captive State could barely make a fifth of its budget back? A fifth would be generous for Wonder Park because it costs somewhere between 80 and 100 million dollars to make. And it only opened to 20. Ouch. Oh, that's a high hill to cl- that's a big hill to climb, and I don't see it happening. If it could, the opening weekend is your best bet, and I doubt this is going to stick around after um, April. So, hopefully, they make more money from the TV series because woof, woof, that's bad. <laughs> uh, how bad is that uh, compared to um, the rest of Nickelodeon's releases? Where's Nickelodeon? Oh, not okay. It's only 152 in the worst openings adjusted for inflation. <laughs> uh, where's the da, 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 worst opening? Oh no, widest openings. I was gonna say worst openings PG rated. Uh, where's the? They don't have the list. Box Office Mojo doesn't have the list for uh, Nickelodeon or Paramount animation. No, oh, well, I was wondering how it did compared to the other. Uh, Paramount and Nickelodeon productions and theaters. And then staying at number one for two weeks in a row is Captain Marvel, bringing in a, a, a staggering $67.9 million, way more than any, like almost comparatively the entire rest of the top 10 combined. Uh, and it brought up its domestic gross to $264.8 million, and its worldwide gross after two weeks. Is um is seven hundred and sixty million dollars. This will be a billion dollar movie worldwide before the probably before the end of the month 
maybe leading into April, maybe at the beginning of April, maybe by the beginning of April. So expect Captain Marvel to be another billion dollar movie for Marvel. That is going to be interesting to compare how Captain Marvel does against Black Panther. Uh, so yeah, it's that's that's good news and that's well deserved because as much as people say the, bar- the Marvel movies are boring and predictable, I'll say this: Captain Marvel suffered mainly from prequelitis, where it tried to recreate, where, where it tried to explain things away instead of um, tell- focusing on Carol herself, and yeah, that's why it's not be better than like say Iron Man for. Uh, the or origin sto- uh, story movies, but I will say this: it's a better Thor origin than Thor. But that's just poor Thor never could get the hang of things until uh, Taika Waititi kind of rebranded the character. Uh, so yeah, that was the that was the box office this weekend. Kind of predictable, uh, although some real surprises. I did not expect a Spanish a Mexican film to premiere so high in the top ten. Though, like comparatively, there's another foreign language film that premiered. In the box office this weekend, uh, I th- it's another uh, Spanish language, I think. Uh, Sports comedy distributor. I, I say so because it's distributor Spanglish, which according to Box Office Mojo is an invalid studio. So that's 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 good. That's good. That's good sign. Um, yeah, it is Spanish. Los uh, Domini. Domini Requenos 2. Another sequel. Los Domini Requenos, Requenos 2. Which I have no idea what that means. But that premiered way down at 17. So, I mean... That, I mean, that's good for more... Span- uh, that's Hey, that's more variety in the box office than we usually get. And that's a good thing. If foreign language films can play as well here alongside regular Hollywood releases, that's a good, that's a good thing. So yeah, that's the box office this weekend. And now we looked at the week that was. We look forward to the week ahead in Trailer Talk. Coming this summer. It's Trailer Talk. Rated R starts Friday. Interestingly enough, I think we only have one new release. At least one new release near me. Um, And that... New release is Jordan Peele's Us. I think people got cold feet and were like, no, maybe we shouldn't premiere against the follow-up to the wildly successful Get Out uh, that weekend. So, so yeah, it, Jordan Peele's Us is coming up next weekend, coming up this weekend. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be super excited for that. And, and let's check out that trailer, which honestly, it's one of the best trailers uh, for a movie I've seen in a long time. And I'll break down why after we watch it. Well, after you listen to it and I watch it. But you can watch along with me. Uh, it's the official trailer on the Universal Pictures account. I think I'll start doing that. So if you want to watch the trailer as well, I'll tell you which trailer I'm using. Five on it. This gets stuck in my head every single time. I got five on it. Creep on it, on it. 
Is his production company called Monkey Paw? I will say, I think the kids are my biggest worry because kid actors can be hit or miss. Oh, yeah. The horror remix of I Got Five on it comes a new nightmare. Yeah, see, the kid feels a bit wooden. Crazy. We can get crazy. This March. We are our own worst enemy. Academy Award winner Lupita Nyong'o. Um, so yeah, uh, let me break down for, let me break down what I think is so powerful about this trailer and why I think it's such a good trailer. Uh, first off, it's minimalistic. It doesn't tell you everything, which is a problem with so many trailers in, uh, coming out of Hollywood nowadays is that they feel the need to fully explain the movie to you so you know what you're seeing going in. There's not a lot left to your surprise, because there's such a huge backlash if somebody doesn't get what they expected from from tra- from what they saw in the trailer. And so many trailers can be misleading, and people will speak out against that. And the, that's bad word of mouth for the movie. So they Hollywood would rather hedge their bets by explaining literally everything that goes on, so that you're not so that you're never surprised by what you see. And that's ultimately detrimental because you miss you think about classic trailers like psycho where literally where nothing it showed you nothing it's just egg, uh at Allan poe uh, it's just alfred hitchcock telling you how crazy his movie is and then ending on the iconic shower scene but just one shot of it it, it it's all hype or you compare it to aliens alien the original uh uh Ridley Scott's Alien movie. It that mo- that trailer didn't show you anything. It was just you know it's based on what can hear you scream and it was just the letters, but it presented a mood. This does that. This does something similar, but it uses more footage from the movie. It sets the mood. Introdu- like good trailers are almost like movies in in of themselves. They follow arcs. So. And ultimately, they kind of follow the arc of the movie. So we begin the trailer with the introduction to the family. We learn that 
It's a black family uh, about to go to vacation of some kind. Go to this. Go to the beach somewhere. Go to a beach town. Have have fun with their friends. Their dad bought a boat without their mom, without the rest of the family knowing. Uh, so he's got this sort of dream of being a boat owner and 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 driving a boat. And while they're there, they uh, while they're on this vacation, or maybe they. I don't think they're moving because they don't have. The, all their stuff with them. They just have well, the one car. So while they're on vacation, they have this run-in with this with this sort of really scary-looking family. And it turns out the family, the twist, and they give away the twist without giving away the true twist. The main twist is that the 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 bad guys are them. They are the bad guys. So there's a second version of them existing in this universe. And the real twist is going to be how. How does that happen? So they gave away the the catch of the movie, but they don't explain. They're going to leave the movie to explain why that is. And then the rest of the trailer is showcasing the horror of this movie, the blood and the gore and how the, the, the psychological terror of what is at, what in the hell is going on. And you, and that's exemplified because it opens with them singing I Got Five on it, and it's having fun, jaunty, family going on vacation, and then as the trailer plays out, there's a horror remix of I Got Five on it. So the same family is suffering through the horrors of what's going on around them, and you hear that in the music as well. So it has that same motif of I Got Five on it, but it's distorted and twisted and turned into this... almost demonic sound not fully demonic but definitely like terrorizing sound this terrible sound of like something foreboding and so and thankfully they had i don't think they've released a follow-up trailer to try and explain more i think they've left it to our imagination because there's imagery like all the rabbits in cages is this a cloning thing is this some this is some sort of magic thing what is going on with the what's going on with this movie and you have the questions but the movie is going to give you the answers and so we're going to find out i'll probably do a regular review and a spoiler review for us in case anybody wants in case anyone wants to hear me gush about uh or break down what's really going on in the movie so uh stay tuned for that next week because that's the only real release we got coming up and that about does it for this week, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, you can do so by whitelisting us on your ad blocker and favoriting the page. And then when you're done with Popcorn Junkie, you can go check out all the other fine programming we have. The new re- episode of Living in the Stacks is out on uh, on uh, Chinua Achebe's Things Fall Apart. I'll admit we get off the rails a lot because Melody is not on this week because she wasn't able to make it to the recording. But the three of us, um, Dexter, uh, Max, and I, are old college buddies. So it basically turned into three college buddies having fun and not talking about the thing. (laughs) It it became like a reunion of sorts. Um so, uh, it's a bit off the rails, but we do talk about a lot of things, uh, especially like colonialism and white supremacy and, uh, you know, toxic masculinity. So we get heavy into the topics of the book, 
But we do kind of meander about it as well. <laughs> Melody's kind of our our rudder. She steer makes sure to steer the conversation on track. Uh at any rate, uh yeah, that'll be it for uh Living in the Stacks. You can check out all of Donna's stuff over at Snarcasts, uh Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, Once More with Feeling, The Family Business. Uh Vanessa is doing Odd Nevada, I saw. I think she expanded from Vegas to Nevada. And uh I think it's Nevada. I don't. I don't. I want to. I don't want to say it's Nevada. I think it's Nevada. But you know, Nevadians can uh, correct me on that. Um, uh, you can also check out uh, Mike and I are definitely once Mike is uh, has cooled down and finished his uh, student film. He and I can get back on track with Majide because. Holy cow, we got a lot to talk about. We got Godzilla stuff coming up on Netflix. We got all kinds of new anime we could talk about. All kinds of cultural stuff. Um, there's all, all kinds of new Japanese stuff. Ultraman is coming to Netflix. We get to talk about Ultraman. So expect stuff like that down the line. Um, once, my, once Mike and I can get back on track with recording and getting episodes out regularly, then we can... Uh, then uh, we, I'll start pimping those out more. Uh, but yeah, if you're if you don't uh, if you listen to us through your mobile devices, you can find Popcorn Junkie on your various uh, podcasting providers: uh, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Stitcher. Uh, I do want to expand it to Podbean pretty soon, and hopefully uh, down the line, I once I get some money coming in, I can. Uh, that way it's another patron outlet if they, if you want to listen to, th- listen to us through Podbean. I'm still planning on getting stuff on YouTube. Um, I guess I should probably explain, uh, the medical, I, if you will follow on social media, facebook.com slash popcorn junkie at corn junkie pod on Twitter. Uh, I mentioned that the episodes were delayed because of medical issues. Number one, uh, my ankle has been acting up and I think it's an old sprain. We think it's an old sprain that, uh, it's continually flaring up down the line, so they are they want so I had to go to the doctors for that. And number two, it's been a lot of depression, lots and lots of depression, almost made me resign from my job. Kind of depression. So uh, I'm hoping to like it, it, at this rate, if I don't get some some real treatment going on, I may miss the entire retrospectives entirely. You know, I may miss the entire retrospectives I have planned, but I need to. Um, uh, seek more, seek better treatment for my depression, and hopefully get to, hopefully get, hopefully get to a point where I can work more steadily, and I don't always feel tired and down, and in regard, and then that perpetuates into me feeling me being hard on myself for not doing what I want to do because I'm tired, and so you've got that perpetuating cycle of depression going on and anxiety on top of that. So, um. So yeah, I've been dealing a lot with that again, and I've talked about my depression on the show before, way back when, uh, I think it was way back, uh, in August of my first year, I talked about my deal, my problems with depression, and I want to overcome that and be more productive on this podcast and make it bigger and better and do more things, but in order to do that, I need to see, in order to, I need to overcome the depression that holds me back because it keeps me from being active and productive and doing things for the podcast. It keeps me kind of down and sleepy and tired and unmotivated. So 
I'm gonna be, that was the main reason why this episode was delayed was because I was I was genuinely about to resign on Monday when the podcast was coming out, and then I realized as soon as I had talked it out with my boss that what the hell am I doing? I can't do that. Why would I quit now? There's no reason to quit now. I'm just be I'm just being all I'm just being all sad and stuff. I need to get over the sadness. The job's not the problem. I'm the problem. I need to work on me. And that's when I kind that's that's kind, I think that was the kind of clarity that I needed in order to keep my life on track and refocus into treating myself. So, what well, that's going to be my main thing to work on and so I so I can get back to getting the podcasts up and running through YouTube, Twitch TV and then hopefully expanding further. Come to think of it, I shouldn't focus on video. The video stuff is being a problem. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just make it audio retrospectives. I'm going to focus less on making it a video retrospective because that takes a lot more time and energy and and productivity than I am able to give at this moment. So in order to ease up, since audio is much easier for me to work on and finish, I'm going to be doing audio retrospectives of these of these of these movies. So, these will, so expect these retrospectives on the main podcast feed, not just on YouTube. So, you've heard it here first. Hail to the King and Poke, Poke Cinema are coming to a podcast near you, not just on YouTube. And then I can focus on getting them up onto YouTube when everything is done. But if I want to get these out in a timely manner, I just need to get working on it. And the and trying to add video has been the biggest hurdle for these. So why do I need to make it a video? I can just make it audio. I'm, I'm great at podcasting now. I don't need to try and expand into video if I don't have the time for it. So, so yeah, that'll be coming down the line. Uh, and I just thought of that right now. I'm like... Why don't I do an audio retrospective? I can make videos of it later. But I follow Now Playing Podcast. They do all, they only do audio retrospectives. So yeah, this is going to be an audio retrospective. So stay tuned for that coming this April and that'll be that'll be an extra that'll be daily episodes coming out for both Poké Cinema and and uh, Hail to the King, leading up to the releases of of Detective Pikachu and uh, Hail and uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters. In which case, I can actually a- end the series on those and then continue it forward. You might actually see start to see popcorn chunky retrospectives for all kinds of other stuff too if, if this becomes a thing. So. If you have any suggestions for further retrospective that you want me to cover, uh, maybe the Disney movies, maybe the Marvel movies, maybe um, maybe DreamWorks, maybe, you know, whatever. The, I think this would be a great outlet for me to to kind of, because I apply, actually applied to be a co-host on Now Playing, well, yo, I think last year sometime, and I never heard back from them. So rather than wait... I'm just going to do the Popcorn Junkie Retrospective series. So we're going to start with Poke Cinema and Hail to the King. If you have any suggestions, send those to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. I'll consider them. 
And uh, actually, if you're a patron over at patreon.com, you I'll take your considerations first and foremost. That's any t- as low as a dollar a month to help out the podcast. You get all kinds of new access. You'll get the early releases for for podcasts. You'll get you'll get the Pokemon and and Godzilla retrospectives a day in advance. I can guarantee that. So so if you, there are all kinds of stuff over on Patreon, and you can ge- help generate content for the podcast as well. That's patreon.com slash popcornjunkie. Uh, once again, social media, facebook.com slash popcornjunkie, uh, twitter.com at cornjunkiepod. Not very active on uh, Instagram, but uh, with these new retrospectives, I can probably post more often because I'll be posting the images to tease for the, uh, for the new episodes. Uh, that's Instagram at at Popcorn Junkie Podcast, and then on Stardust, I'm uh, I'm gonna actually post reactions. I'm gonna post my reactions to uh, the stuff for the day of release. So uh, when the retrospectives start, you can join me over on Stardust at Popcorn Junkie and see my reactions to whatever I'm reviewing. So stay tuned for that. It's all coming up. And uh, if there's anything else you want to say to me, feedback you want me to give, further information on uh, No Manches Frida or, uh, or, any, you know, or, or the translation of the stuff and more an insight into that sort of – into that series and how it got so popular. Um, or if you have your own thoughts on Five Feet Apart, uh, on Wonder Park, on Captive State. Uh, and my, do you, what do you think of my sexploitation breakdown? Do you think I'm on to something? Do you think I'm reading too much into it? What do you, what are your thoughts on these sort of medically based sort of explo- somewhat exploitive uh, movies? Give me your thoughts. I would love to hear them. And uh, if you want to me to read your thoughts out loud on the podcast and you want credit, make sure you say I make sure you give me explicit permission in either the subject line or the message, and I will do so. Otherwise, I will simply paraphrase. So that about th- that does it for this week's episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and and I think. 2019 is getting is just getting a little better all the time. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by the M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio. N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. Uh, so that covers the new releases for this past weekend, and now we look ahead to the disc... No, not that, that's, that's later in the episode, John, damn it. <laughs>